0: You can find Radical Listening from Virtual Sonic Reality on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. So find us on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe to follow along. While you're there, why don't you just go ahead and give us five stars? You know you love us, and we love you too. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show.
1: So they take old mice, and they can't learn the maze. Like No matter how hard they try, they can't learn the maze. And then they take the mouse blood of young mice and transfuse it into the old mice, just the blood of a younger mouse. And the old mice are like, boom, they learn the maze in seconds. They're happy and dancing. They have the attitude and brain function of young mice. And it also works the other way. Inject a young mouse with the blood of an old mouse. Strange things happen. Brain function decreases, healing time slows,
2: Welcome to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their current projects. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznogel. Today we sit
0: down on the set of Mala by Melinda Lopez at Coho Theatre with the show's star, Julana Torres, and the director, Brian Schnipper. The show is open now and runs through September 28th at 7.30 Thursday through Saturday with 2 p.m. matinees on Sundays.
2: What did you think about this episode?
0: It was really... Really interesting to see how, how connected they both were to the material. Yeah. Because that was what I was wondering about. Like, yeah. um, It's such personal material and doing a solo show, especially written by someone else, yeah. to try to connect to that experience is, I don't know, it sounds hard to me. And yeah, I've, yeah. I've done solo shows kind of like that before where I didn't write them. And so you really are becoming someone else where the originator of the show was able to have yeah. the whole background. But they both had a lot of context for a lot of the issues that were brought up in the show, and that was really cool.
2: It, it, I also was surprised by their relationship. I don't know, when you're talking to directors and actors and things, you you never know what the relationship's like, but they seem very personal. Yeah, to yeah,
0: and and to hear how the project came together and how it was very much like they were going to do this together yeah. um, was, was really cool because... Yeah. You know, you might not know who your actors are as a director or who your director is as an actor. And it can take time to build trust. But if right. you have the trust like that and to dive that deep in that kind of material, right. it requires that trust to be able to spend, you know, four hours a day, five days a week or six days a week or whatever to make this thing happen. That's yes, tough
2: thinking material and talking about <laughs> death over and over and over. Again. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's hard. It was super good. It yeah. was a great show. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, we talked about a lot of things. You know, we talked about their process. We talked about The whiz, which was kind of We funny. did talk
0: about The whiz. That was the undercurrent of all of our theater experience, it seems.
2: <laughs> we talked about Airbnb and just life in general. Yeah. Great conversation.
0: It was really great to get to know them a little bit better. Um, and uh, hear who, where they're coming from and who they are as people.
2: Yeah. Here's Hulana Torres and Brian Schnipper. All right, so we're here with Hulana Torres and Brian Schnipper. We are talking to the director of Mala and Mala herself. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you guys on. How are you guys doing?
1: Wonderful. Great. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. We've, uh, we've been, I think we planned this for about two weeks, something like that. That's how long we've been kind of trying to get you guys <laughs> <laughs> in Scheduled here. in. And we're on your set, which is really cool. I was saying earlier that the backdrop kind of reminds me of Ohio, and I'm from Ohio. <laughs> we're both from
0: Ohio, yeah. <laughs> so I looked that up. It's got, got like, an Ohio vibe. It does. It's,
3: it's got an Ohio vibe. It's funny, we actually we were looking at it saying, okay, that's California. That's New Jersey. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Puerto Rico's dangling over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
3: <laughs> and you can actually see it if you come see the
0: show. That's yeah, right, exactly.
2: <laughs> so if you know anything about Hulana, you know that she loves long monologues. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, coming from something like Evolve into, into a play like this, what was that process like? How did you, how were you able to make that switch into something much longer? And, and what was that? To be honest,
1: I think Evolve prepared me to be able to take on something longer because Evolve was the longest monologue I've done mm. to date, you know, which was about 14 minutes at its longest. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've cut and chopped and, and done various versions of it, but, um, that was huge for me to start with. Mm-hmm. When I came into that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what have I got myself into?" And so, um, after learning the process of going through that and kind of learning how to arrange it in my brain to make it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, easy to remember, and um, and how to, how to let it live in my body, mm-hmm. you know, so that it was it was real, you know, and understanding the story and where I was going with it. That was really um, huge preparation. So after I did that, and then this presented itself to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. Sure, mm-hmm. I, I can do this. Even yeah. so, when I first looked at the script, I went, oh, no. Now what did I get myself <laughs> <Yeah>. into? <laughs> but I think that that really, um, yeah, that was a huge a huge uh, attribute in being able to great handle this. Do
0: you have any special tricks for memorizing lines? I always like to ask people this because I'm always... Looking,
1: <laughs> you know, I go back and forth. Like sometimes it's it's straight up like going over the same sentence over and over again, mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes you know because it's it's weird how sometimes one little phrase can just not stick, yeah. But then like a full you know paragraph, I can ramble through and and remember in seconds. And I think it's really just attaching it um to yourself somehow, the story, like yeah. understanding what is the the purpose of the story. I sure. think that always really helps me if I. You know, especially with a show like this where she's a storyteller and there's, right. there's so much about it that's about her journey and her life and her experience. So when I think about the trajectory of the story and where it's going, then that makes it easier. And then later I kind of fill in the little words that maybe I'm ad-libbing or switching around. Sure, yeah.
2: So from your point of view, what's the approach? So how do you prepare your actor for
3: a, a long monologue Essentially, it's uh, well, it was funny when Philip first asked me how I would handle rehearsals. I said, uh, you know, a lot of the time when you're we're dealing with a larger cast, it's so much about blocking and, uh, you know, sort of sculpting the piece, which, of course, you, of course, you're sculpting the, the emotional life of the piece, but it's a much more organic process when you're dealing with a one person show because as you know even even with rehearsals when you're talking about if if we had we had four hour rehearsals a day because this contract will only only allow us four hours Mm -hmm. per day um That's a lot to ask an actor to do, to be emotionally available, to to, to go through the process solely for four hours. And there were times when you just knew that she was gone. She was spent. And, of course, with a piece like this, it's understandable because she's going through emotions that are, you know, that swing left to right and up and down and all over the place. So you have to sort of be aware of of how your actor is feeling at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. And, and allow her to find, I mean, you know, sort of guide her in a way that she finds it herself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or help her to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's, it's and, and certainly with this, when there's not, of course, there's blocking, but it isn't the kind of blocking you're, you're normally used to. It, it, it was a more, um, again, organic process of saying, how do you feel now? Uh, now let's move here or, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, he was really good at saying, you know what? I think you're done for right now. <laughs> Let's switch gears because it's obvious mentally. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be so difficult, especially in those first few days when we're just kind of reading through and it wasn't mm. even having to be off book yet. You yeah. know, even not being off book, my head was just throbbing. About two and a half, three hours in, I was hitting a wall, and so um, at first I suggested five hour rehearsal. So I'm glad that <laughs> we did not do that. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah. yeah, I can understand
2: that. So, we're, we're, what were the moments where you drew from like specific life um, events or experiences? Did you have any moments like that?
1: Oh yeah, there's quite a few within the show. I, um, when I was 19, I moved to Puerto Rico to take care of my grandmother, who was oh, okay. um, on her last months. At the time, we didn't realize it was her last months, but we knew she wasn't well, and so there was many times, um, actually the reason I came back was because she was so adamant about me not helping her and not being there. And it really uh, put this huge um, divide in our relationship. And it was really hard to deal Mm. with uh, because she kept pushing me away. You know, if I had known better than I would have pushed harder, but you know, I was 19 and I just thought, okay, well, she doesn't want me here. Mm. And um, she ended up passing a few months later, but there was, some some really defining moments in um in helping her and her being helpless Mm -hmm. that um there were very specific two things in the show that i was like whoa i lived this i've been through this and my other grandmother we had gone into hospice and i was taking care of her so there was um you know and almost losing my father a few years Mm -hmm. ago too there was there was Almost way too many parallels in the show to my own life, where I actually had to kind of step back from drawing on my personal self because it was tugging so much of my personal self that um, early on it became really evident that if I didn't find some way to separate sometimes mm-hmm. sure. that it was gonna um, it was gonna wreck me. Mm-hmm. So when my grandmother was in the bathroom mm-hmm. and she was screaming, that happens in the show when she talks about her. Mother screaming like an animal in a trap. Mm. I went through that exact same thing with my grandmother. Listening to her, so I can hear her voice wow. in my head when yeah. I'm doing the show. I can, wow. you know, I can go through that. And when the father's passing, you know, uh, some of the direction Brian had given me because at first I kind of was in a different headspace, and later um, he gave me some different direction about, um, you know. The, did not, the denial in that moment of like, this isn't happening, this isn't happening. And luckily my father pulled through, but mm-hmm. I remember that moment of going like on my way, you know, driving to the hospital and going, no, 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 This is not, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. This yeah. is not happening. Yeah. And so those are some very specific things I was able to pull from.
2: Yeah. How about yourself? Did you have any moments that connect you? I read in your director's notes that you were dealing with something and you almost, you had to set the script down.
3: Yes. And then you said you came back to it. And finished it. I began reading the script in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, next to my father, and uh, after about ten pages, which is you know in, in a, a solo show like this, the, the script runs about thirty-seven pages. So you're talking about a third of the script. So I was able to grasp that the writing was in- incredible and mm-hmm. and honest and raw and funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at a certain point, I said, I need to put this down because I, I can't do this right now. And then about three months after my father passed, I picked it up and was able to finish it. Um, and even then, I probably shouldn't have. But I knew I wanted to submit something that was a, a small cast to Coho. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was going to respond to it in a way that was very personal. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I got through it. And, and I said, you know, I think both of us, when we, we, we started rehearsals and I knew Hulana's situation with her grandmother, I said, you know, I said, there are going to be times when I lose it, you lose it, mm-hmm. um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, it was a way uh, for us to sort of sift through uh, the piece.
1: No. <laughs> Where were the appropriate times to lose it? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I started yeah. off losing it a little too often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when we said we need to pull back from that, because yeah. it
3: can't, you know, obviously it's it's a right. piece about um, honoring uh, the, your loved ones and not about your. I mean, I you know, don't we'll say your own emotions, of course, because they play a huge part in that, but you can't dwell on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, both as an actor and as you know, in the piece itself. So, so you said that this is kind of your your second
2: uh, opportunity to do. To carry a show or carry uh, an extended monologue, what is that like? You know, you're up here, you're performing, and now you're you're open, so you're performing for audiences by yourself. You're carrying an entire show. What does that feel like? Is it nerve wracking?
1: Um, it is. Uh, it's definitely unlike any other experience I've had, and it's interesting because I'm used to carrying a stage on my own as a dancer and as a singer. Um, so this is a uh, kind of another realm of that but uh, it's definitely more taxing yeah um, I guess because all the movement's not involved where I can just shake you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I'm singing and dance I just shake a lot <laughs> yeah. um, it's an amazing amazing um, feat you know that's I'd say personally I've grown more as an artist in these last couple of months doing this than than any other time in my life, because there's so much realization that Mm -hmm. comes into it. And, you know, all in all, it's very empowering, of course, because Mm -hmm. it's it's just me, (laughs) you know, which is um, a a huge pressure, of course, you know, it's a large responsibility to be able to um, make sure that I'm taking the audience on the journey um that is expected of the playwright number 1 and um and also what they need because it it's there's different needs every night too and i've noticed that just in kind of the last few shows that um the pace and you know even some of the delivery of the lines and the humor and the moments that need to last longer or need to be smaller um i think it's making me a lot more intuitive as an artist um, I'm very humbled, incredibly humbled to be able to to do something like this. I never thought I would, um, which is why I was so excited when Brian asked me to come on board with this, and then even more so when I understood the material more. So, um, yeah, it's been um, you know it's it's been gut wrenching, and I've had to definitely define a very specific process at the beginning of the show for myself that I've never had to do with any other show. Hmm. Um, I think it's been easier to jump in when I have other people to feed off of that their own, you know, with this energy of other actors to feed off of. And now it's just me. So I think um, I've had to take a lot more time at the beginning of shows to center myself and Hmm. feel in a nice state of mind. Um, And I'm still... Refining my after-show process that mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't refined <laughs> yet because uh, you know coming down off of it also has been um, difficult to say the yeah. least in trying to figure out what that looks like so that I can go home and not take it out on my kids. <laughs> are there
2: are there any rituals that you've created during this
1: process? I have, and I um, actually was uh, speaking about that the other day with my boyfriend, and it's honestly not something I want to share yet, and because I think it's been so intense to me. And I think that it's really helping me through the show. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, because it's so intense at the beginning of the show, I think that's why it's been really important for me over the last couple of days to think about, okay, now what am I doing afterwards? How am I going to get, mm-hmm. you know, uh, decompressed from this afterwards? Because the, the, you know, what I'm doing at the start is, is, uh, um, really powerful. And so I told him, I said, I, I don't want to talk about it now because I think it's important to keep it kind of sacred to me right now. Mm -hmm. True, true. But when I get done with the show, I think I'm going to need to purge and really (laughs) talk about it for a while. (laughs) So
0: this is definitely deep material, but there's also comedy. How much were you? How much of that comedy was you know evident in the script, and how much did you realize like, wow, this got really dark for way too long. Where can we find the comedy to bring us, give us a breath or something? What, What was that balance like?
3: I, I mean, I, I always look for the comedy, uh, especially in a piece like this, where you can find levity and and give the audience a break. So I was I, I was pretty clear on what needed to mm-hmm. get a laugh, and of course, you know, you can't. Mm-hmm. It, it's cheap to say you, this is a laugh line, but uh, in how you interpret the line, because because again, she is a storyteller. She is aware that she's playing to an audience, which is the second or the uh, the other character in the show. Yeah. Yeah. That you are. You are performing for them, mm-hmm. and um, th- there is a fine line in the piece itself where um, she is a aw- she's aware of the audience, and yet she still loses herself emotionally in the show. And we use the stage manager in a way that she references the stage manager, uh, so it brings another level to that. Uh, but it's always it's always a case of the the actor being aware that they are mm-hmm. performing. Uh, is, and especially with most of the uh, funny moments. Mm-hmm. Because she, she half the time, there's a joke about Cher. She knows she's telling a joke. Yeah. So it's not cheap. It's it's mm-hmm. the actor she's having dry. fun with the audience. And she's yeah. very dry. She's um, got very dry humor. Yeah. And, yeah. and Melinda yeah. writes, you know, she writes, like I said, it's never cheap. It's and it's It <laughs> just comes organically <laughs> from pain. And it's beautiful. I mean, she's a really smart writer.
1: I didn't notice it when I first read it, like, through the whole way. I just kind of got the gist of the story, I guess. And then when I went back and started to read it a second time and examine it further, I was cracking up the whole way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> in and out, I was laughing. So making notes to myself, you know, it was, it was really evident how funny she is. You know, mm-hmm. just the really dry, like, sarcastic humor that she has, which is really, really similar to myself. Sure, so I just yeah. I fed off. I was like,
0: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah we watched a couple of videos oh, of her talking last night um, in preparation. I'm like, yeah, that's... Seems right on spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like her.
3: And it's funny, whenever whenever we were in rehearsals and she would be sifting through material or through the text, and I would say to her, I need you. Because I know that she has that same humor. I know that yeah. she has that same dry wit. So all I all I mean, that's all I would need to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. would she would bring it immediately. <laughs> and that'd be
1: my known support. Chris. I'm like, bring me. And it's like, I know exactly what he's talking about because it's just it's the way I would deliver it to my friends or right. anybody yeah. if I'm yeah. being sarcastic.
2: Great. For people who have not seen the play or, or are listening to this, why should they come see this right now? Why is this important to our modern, you know, sensibility in this time? Why why pick this play
3: now? Well, I think it's it's universal. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say it's a play for, I mean, of course it is a play for now, but it's a play for now because it is so universal. Okay. It's, it's all of our stories. I mean, I I don't know anybody, young or old, that hasn't dealt with a grandparent, a parent, a a Mm -hmm. sibling, something, where they've gone through the process. And if you haven't, God God bless you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But most people have gone through this process uh, with a family member or a friend. And, in that way, it, it, it is—you know—she combines both the lyrical and the mundane in a way that is so beautiful. Uh, you know, she uh, she takes these moments that, you know, and again, I don't want to say certain lines because there there will be people that have not seen the yeah. show yet, but there are so many moments that I where well, you actually hear the audience go, "Oh, mm-hmm. yeah." Um, there were, there were so many moments like that when, and I felt that in the text, but of course I'm not in an, you know, you're not in an audience knowing how they're going to respond. So it was really great to watch those moments really land in a way that the audience went, Oh, I've been through this. Yeah. I know exactly what this is. Yeah. I I was watching a video where, um,
2: the playwright was talking about how, uh, you know, what, what, what was kind of her inspiration for writing this was just that, that feeling when you when you're when you are going through a parent who's dying and just how hopeless and helpless you feel because at a certain point there's just nothing you can do, right. and you I really do get that sense when I watch this. It's just like yeah, at a certain point there's just nothing you can do.
0: And like you say during the show, there's no guidebook with how to deal with yeah. things like this. Mm-hmm. So a show like this is important to be able to see just to see how, ordinary. how, how ordinary it is mm-hmm. and how how many people go through it because. Yeah, it it feels very huge when you're going through it. And I I just lost my grandfather a little less than a year ago and watched the, you know, the the whole process. And it was, you know, you talk to people about it and everyone's kind of been through it. So people are definitely sympathetic, but you have to learn how to deal with it on your own because Mm -hmm. there's no there's no way people hand you to give to deal with something like this. So, you know, you have to look to art.
1: And there's you know, so many yeah. feelings that you go through, you know, that are that are natural and ordinary and everybody's sharing them. But at the time, you kind of feel bad. You feel, yeah. you know, mala, like yeah. you should not be feeling the things that you're feeling, like you should be acting a different way and you shouldn't be responding or reacting to certain um, situations or things that they do when they're in pain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so you're expecting yourself to be this larger, better person. And then you know it's just the fact that life is inherently hard going through the yeah. death of someone is inherently hard and you know we're human in that and so i think it's very healing in that sense to just hear someone sharing you know those comical views and guilt right. and yeah. and yeah. then knowing that oh okay i'm not alone yeah <laughs> right. yeah absolutely
3: yeah. and in also in that you know the, the script is not to sort of dwell on the, the part of the death part which of course is a huge part of the, the piece but that it is it is so cathartic yeah it is so, I, I always felt, even when I read it, that she understood what I was going through. Mm. And she puts it down on paper in a way that she, she, she lets us work through it yeah. mm. as an audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, You know, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. And Hulana's amazing. Yeah, and that's <laughs> why I
1: enjoy about it too, which is difficult in remembering the script too because it's kind of sometimes a rant and rambling and so it's not perfect grammar (laughs) and i found myself you know trying to fix the grammar (laughs) but that's not you know that's not the point of it the point is that you know these are thoughts that are coming and and that you're in the moment of processing and that's what's you know so cool about it is that this is like an ongoing process that's happening as you're watching her you know
2: yeah so what was the process of you know you, you you're picking this play and working with Koho to produce this play. Did you know that you wanted to produce Mala first, or how did that how did
3: that work? Uh, I well, it came if the first part was Hulana. Okay. Well, the, the, the script was obviously point number one. Yeah. Uh, but if I didn't get Hulana, uh, I wasn't going to submit it. Oh, Okay. Um, so, I, I immediately, she was the, the first person I went to, the only person I went to. And if and if she had said no, I would have looked for a different script. Okay. Uh, because this piece meant so much to me, I I, I wanted someone who could fully realize it, mm-hmm. and that meant Hulana. Yeah. <laughs> now, did, have you worked
2: with Coho before? Have you done the co-production no. with them? So, this is your first co-production? This is my
3: first production with Coho. How long have you been in Portland? Four years now. Four years. Yes. Oh, you're 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 fairly new. Fairly, fairly a newbie. Yes. Where are you coming from? Uh, originally, New Jersey, right outside New York uh, in Bergen County, and okay. then I moved to Los Angeles uh, and was there for eleven years, and then we moved here. Okay, great, great. Yes, are
2: you
1: uh, Helena? Are you from Portland?
3: I don't think I've ever asked you this. Uh,
1: I was raised in Portland. I was okay. a, born in LA, but okay. we came here when I was I was very young. So I'm essentially a Portland native. Okay, come and gone several times, but this is home.
2: Yeah, you identify as a Portland yes, native. Okay. Absolutely. Were you guys involved in theater at a young age, or how, how, when did you make that that
3: transition into theater? Uh, my mother took me to my first. I think my, my both parents, or maybe my, my mother, uh, brought me to my first Broadway show when I was nine. Oh, okay. So, and I, I remember being entranced by it, and I think I, I can remember that as clear as day. Mm-hmm. So, what show was it? It was The Wiz. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I remember thinking that the the yellow brick road could be men in a brick. Uh, overcoats mm. and yellow pants and yellow afros and uh, a tornado could be a dancer uh, mm-hmm. in a blue leotard with an eye on her chest and i thought that's amazing yeah. i thought that 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 kind of imagination and i you know i, I can still remember those moments as clear as day like you I know said.
0: that the whiz i think is one of the first shows i can remember seeing really like yeah i remember i went to the community theater in <laughs> cleveland my mom <laughs> took me there i remember riding in the stroller and yeah, we saw The Wiz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <that> <laughs>
1: absolutely. I remember my mother choreographing it at a <laughs> oh, young wow. age. Yeah, she put her yellow book road in um, platform, yellow platform, <laughs> heels yeah. and bell, oh, bell- yeah. bottoms. And gotta love it. <laughs> Um, I didn't really have a choice, so my mm. <laughs> I might as well have been born on stage. My um, father uh, is a musician mm-hmm. who's very well-known. He played in Woodstock with Joe Cocker and oh, wow. was on the road with Tom Jones for a long time. And my mother um, is also well-known for as a performer. She was on Broadway at an early age. She oh, did wow. the original Happy Time and uh, Promises, Promises, and um and so I grew up in a, in a dance studio and wow. playing music and being in rehearsals with my mother. You know, she choreographed a lot of musicals growing up, and so I was always in the theater watching, and and then in turn being thrown in and yeah. wherever they needed a a small body. <laughs> right. yeah. And I just kind of grew it grew from there. You know, I was always um, I did a lot of musical theater growing up, and then kind of transitioned to doing. Um, some more black box and yeah
2: now do you guys remember your first role on stage
3: yes what was it it was lewis and the king and i oh cool (laughs) nice
1: i mm, well i was dancing on stage you know but i think the first like role i remember was in the nutcracker as uh Little candy drop or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Bonbon, that's what it was. <laughs> Bonbon.
0: I just saw a, 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 a child's first performance. I probably, maybe not, who knows, but very, very young, probably like uh, two or so, um, mm-hmm. this weekend at this clown festival I went to. And it was like on a dock and. She came out dressed in a little tuxedo (laughs) over a life jacket. (laughs) So it was big and puffy. And she had a little pink balloon in her hand. And she was walking out with her dad, who was wearing like a dress and a whole lot of lipstick. And they're walking very slowly out to the middle. And then she did this whole thing where she was a conductor. And so her mom came out and was like having her point at like her dad and then her. And they're going, oh, oh, oh. And then she like walked over, got her to walk over. And then like, push him off into the water it was, nice. a, it was really cute and you know there's that whole thing about you can't use kids or animals, animals on stage yeah. you got you just have to be very careful right. or you know make them the yeah, focus and right. yeah, she yeah, was yeah. and it was like it stole the show yeah. that know? actually reminds
1: <laughs> me i had a really defining theater moment when i was in third grade i think that was like a really pivotal time for me too mm. of owning myself yeah because coming from two greats you know um you're always being compared, sure. number one, and discredited because they're yeah. like, "Oh, you only got this <laughs> Um, But I remember my third grade class did Pinocchio, and mm-hmm. I was like, just in my heart, I knew I wanted to be Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. And they ended up casting me as Pinocchio, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so I carried the the show. And Look at then, you. yeah, I was nine years old, and then I remember they did this whole. Red carpet rollout for me that I got to walk the high diddly dee down
2: and <laughs> <laughs> so
3: cross gender casting even that, uh, back <laughs> yeah, then right. yeah. yeah good for the them. Through. yeah
1: <laughs> it's
2: like they were ahead of it that's great um, what would you consider your aesthetic um, as a director or as an, a performer <laughs> go first go ahead oh <laughs> um
1: I guess the f- uh the first thing that popped into my head when you said that was um. Natural. It was just the word that Mm -hmm. came into my mind. I think um, partially from having grown up amongst it, it's Mm -hmm. just really second nature to me. Um, Not to say that I don't have to work hard, you know, Mm -hmm. for it, but um, I'm comfortable on a stage. And I think that that shows to people, especially like when I'm singing or dancing, I have complete abandonment. I have no, um, you know, I have no qualms with making fun of myself or falling flat on my face or, you know, um, being embarrassed or being vulnerable. It's just, uh, I'm completely open to that space. And I think that, um, that really helps people to feel connected to yeah. me in in that experience. So I think that's one of the, one of the, you know, my, my traits yeah, that that's I can great. bring.
3: Um, I would say it, it. I like working on new work, mm-hmm. um, and and certainly as a director or an actor, you certainly get pigeonholed. So uh, you know, for for a long time, I was the person who did either the new work or the the smaller cast off Broadway kind of play. But in terms of how I work, I think the older I get, the more I I, I, I use the term gray area, mm-hmm. because when you're young especially as a young director, you you, um, you see it as, not that it's black and white, but you see a very distinct way of getting somewhere. Mm. And sometimes you have to say that, no, it, it's the gray area that's more beautiful. It's the gray area th- where you find the emotional life of a character. Mm. Um, yeah. it's we, we, we would discuss this sometimes where we'd be trying to work through something and she wouldn't be getting because I would say, let's try this. And then I said to her at one point for a, cu- a couple of times, I said, just whatever, whatever we're working on, if it's not working for you, just drop it and find where the truth is for you. Uh, Cause the truth isn't always in the same place for, for mm-hmm. all of us.
1: Yeah. I think Brian has um, been really incredible at, um, allowing a natural process to occur, you know, because myself, um, Especially from having directed dance companies and been on the other side, when I'm on this side, I'm so, um, uh, I guess, want to please, mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a where I'm like, "What do you want from me?" And you know, and I really try to do what I can to take the direction to get to the vision that the director has. You yeah. know, and and. Um, and he was great at saying, you know, I, I, I see you doing that, but you know what, forget what I said. <laughs> just do what comes natural because it doesn't seem like it's working. But, and then I'm like, no, but what do you want? I want to do what you want. <laughs> he's like, I want you to just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's great at, I think he's very intuitive and he's great at seeing um, seeing the need and, and understanding when it's time to let go. Mm. And um, yeah, it's been a really beautiful process. Yeah,
3: it really has.
2: It almost sounds like, you know, there's this kind of therapeutic element to the entire process obviously this play is um very deep but even the way you describe the way you work and the way that you guys were working together it almost seems like there's kind of a therapy element to mm-hmm. it we're, mm-hmm, we're working sure. through these you know our lives through this
1: play yeah there's a lot of shared experiences yeah. and then you know we come up on things that remind of us something and and then pretty soon we're off on tangents, <laughs> and then we're yeah. like, okay, we better get back to rehearsal. But <laughs> you know, yeah, it is. It's definitely therapeutic. We're, we I, I think all of us, um, and including Micah, the the stage manager, are able to because we're just the three of us really yeah. working re- pretty close knit the last um, couple months. So uh, I think all of us have been able to find our way through certain stories in our lives yeah. and how it relates and the funny moments of it too of Mm -hmm. course you know finding the humor in those things
0: do you feel like you've through processing with this play do you feel like you've worked your way through things or um or do you think you might have kept yourself in certain emotional states and and that you might not have stayed in otherwise i've always wondered about that with with super personal material because i've felt that before too sometimes when i'm when i'm doing something that's very personal i feel like wow i did get through that and like a month later i'm on the other side of something um or at least have a, a new perspective but, but sometimes i almost feel like i just keep dragging myself through the yeah. same things over and over again. i think
1: there's some some new fresh wounds that have opened mm. that i didn't realize were mm. were there that maybe i hadn't completely processed through so um yeah, we'll see what happens. I still got a yeah, few yeah, weeks yeah, yeah. left. I mean, just open. <laughs> so. As long as you got plenty of fresh wounds, yeah, yeah Everything can come. Watch me bleed. Yeah. <laughs> you can
3: go dry in the last after the last performance. Yeah. <laughs> Until then. Until <Yeah>. then,
1: <laughs> keep ripping your heart out. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask if you could talk to us about uh, standing on ceremony, the gay marriage plays. Sure. Um, just because I, it seems really interesting, and um, when when i look through your history this comes
3: up a lot so i just want to right. know what that process was like and everything it, it was it was it was it was an amazing experience it was uh, you know it's the story i would tell when i went on all these press junkets but yeah. it's, it's the truth is that uh in 2009 or eight it yeah. was eight at the time uh you know it looked like we were about to get our first african-american president but we were about to lose prop eight yeah and i thought the, the 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 dichotomy of that just it just felt we were we were move, jumping forward in so many ways and moving backwards in so many ways, and I was sitting in the kitchen that I shared with my it wasn't my husband at the time but the man I had lived with for at that point five years, and my dogs were at my feet and I thought how am I any less different than any other you know couple in this country, mm. and I thought how how do I help. And it wasn't like I could write a check for a hundred thousand yeah. uh, dollars. so I thought, well, I can why don't I uh, create a piece? And uh, the title came into my head, mm-hmm. and I thought, what if it meant that I was taking a stand on gay marriage as opposed to relying on a procedure that's been done before? Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, who do I reach out to? And I wrote uh, my first four playwrights, mm-hmm. and the first four said yes. And they were all really well, you know, major established playwrights. And then I, my fir, my fifth ask was my first no, which was Edward Albee. And I remember, I remember thinking, okay, well, um, I'll take that from. He's he, he fair said, enough. He, fair enough. He said, um, I'm working on three commissions right now, and truth be told. The ten-minute play doesn't interest me much, oh, as as much as as much as this subject matter means to me. And yeah, I thought, yeah. well, you know, again, it was Edward Albee, so I'll take that. And then I just started uh, going after other playwrights. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because at first I thought I'll ask gay playwrights, and then I thought, no, if we're looking for inclusion and the same rights as everyone else, then then this piece has to be inclusive. So I went after uh, straight. Uh, gay, white, black, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it, it had to be everyone's voice. And eventually, it, we got our piece and we it started as a benefit mm-hmm. in LA. It was it was a one night benefit for the uh, human rights campaign and Equality California. And we uh, started asking you know, very well-known actors, and then Deborah Messing signed on, yeah. and Jason Alexander signed on, yeah. and from there we got this amazing cast: Zachary Quinto, Jeffrey Woodard. I mean, we just had this amazing cast, and to this day, I, I think it's still probably my favorite performance of it because we we were just we were losing it, we yeah. were losing Pape, and this audience in L.A. was so. You know, there was it was funny. We were talking. There were all the actors in the in the dressing room, and there were thirty five actors at the time because it was a, a a cast for each piece. Yeah, and there wasn't a single ego in that room. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Everybody said that we're here for a reason, yeah. and it was just a joyous event. Wow. Yeah. And so then, it, and then it evolved into like the vaginal monologues. Okay. A a six person. Uh, cast at music stands and it's been done all over the world. So, Would you ever funny. do something like that again? Uh, it, we, we we were discussing, when we originally did it, we were discussing that it would be an evolving piece, mm-hmm. uh, that it would it would grow to be pieces that involved gay divorce and gay children, the, the adoption of children, or having children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that never happened. And then Prop 8 became uh, yeah. you know, the law of the land. And it just, as much as we loved the piece, and I would love for it to go. I and mean, it's actually being done uh, again. I think next month somewhere. It always had a shelf life, and thank God it had a shelf life yeah. because you didn't want this to have to be, yeah. the the trumpet call because we didn't sure. you know we didn't have our rights. So yeah. we, it was great that it finally it was part of the movement it was part of the movement Mm. yeah
2: well it's it's crazy because now we kind of exist in another time you know 2008 is almost a long time ago now (laughs) and um we we now exist in a time where uh, you know other people's rights are infringed upon in different ways you know for instance um um, choice is a big conversation right now how many states are pulling back on on that and um and, you know, like I, you, I, you almost could revisit the same idea, but with a different focusing on a different group or something like that. I guess in some ways that's kind of what you're doing with cop out and the work that you're doing with Kevin.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. It's
0: a very good format for activism. Yes. Small, short plays or one person things that are. Yeah, it's just. Yeah.
2: No. Yeah. Great. Hey, guys, I just wanted to take a second to uh, talk about our show sponsors. Coho is a theater that's located in Northwest Portland, and their mission is to broaden perspectives and cultivate empathy through vibrant and intimate productions. If you're looking to get involved with Coho or interested in seeing a show, uh, you can check them out um, at 2257 Northwest Raleigh Street in Portland, Oregon, or you can look at their website, which is cohoproductions.org. Our other show sponsor is virtualsonicreality.com, which is a production company that specializes in Recording and audio format entertainment, such as podcasts and audio dramas. Uh, feel free to visit the website at virtualsonicreality.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, let's move on to headlines. headlines. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> favorite part of the show. <laughs> Everybody's favorite part of the I'm show. I'm nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're nervous about this oh, part? The news.
0: <laughs> I almost can't watch the news. Oh no, no, no! no. It's not. Don't worry. We only
2: talked about your personal process. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's easy. But not the news. I want to talk about the headlines. Uh, uh, Okay, I got one. Yeah, (laughs) here we go. Hasbro has released uh, some new Monopoly games. I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, They have released Miss Monopoly where instead of investing in properties you invest in inventions and innovations made by women. <laughs> and that's a USA today article. And now, and you also
0: get if, if you're a woman you get 40 more dollars yep. than everyone else <laughs> when you go around the go. Is
2: yeah. that true? Yes. Oh my god, oh that's hilarious. Oh my gosh,
1: that is funny.
2: So, uh yeah, well I mean are, are, are is this a buy? Should we get this? Are we playing? Are we playing this <laughs> I Monopoly? Don't,
1: I don't know. I'm I'm playing uh Pikachu Monopoly at home right now, oh, so oh. it's like <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I need another version of yeah, Monopoly. I enough. appreciate the sentiment, you know. That's you know. Now, what's Pikachu Monopoly? Um, so it has all of the um, what are they called? The, Pokemon uh, or Pokemon? That's right. I'm yeah. sorry, not Pikachu. I get it mixed well, up. H2 My son goes back between yeah. uh, Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> Pikachu, yeah, yeah, Pokemon, yeah. all these these creatures that I'm supposed to remember their. Yeah. Their traits, you know, I get quizzed on it by my son. Pokemon, that's right. So it's yeah. Pokemon Monopoly. Well, that's great. Yeah, so.
2: <laughs> are there any changes to the rules? Or do you get, what do you get when you pass Go?
1: Uh, You get Pokemon cash. Pokemon the only thing cash. that's really different is that it's just all of the, you know, the investments and the places are fire or whatever they oh, are oh the, you different, elements. You uh, the, the four elements. different elements the elements thank yeah. you yeah, i'd totally. like to say that i was paying better attention no it's okay
0: <laughs> so pokemon's been around so for a while <laughs> i don't think i need
1: another <laughs> monopoly game yeah but fair <laughs> enough
2: so that's a no from you I ju- yeah
3: in terms of...
2: I mean, are, is this something we should be interested in? I mean, Monopoly... Uh, Hasbro is obviously trying to reinvent themselves. Right. And, and you do know that Monopoly often creates
0: some pretty tense situations in households. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, I oh, played well, a lot of Monopoly. And absolutely. experienced a lot of anger. Did they do
1: Life also? Are they... The Game of is Life pretty, is The Hasbro. Game of Life? I think that so. Hasbro?
2: That's a good question, actually.
1: Because that... Yeah, that's... That. I think they should redo that one. Yeah. That actually, they dream. have a version with debit cards. I have that one where it's like oh, a you new you actually have an electric like magnetic it's a, thing? Yeah, debit yeah. card and it's kind of fun, but um I'd like to see Huh. new world uh, situations yeah. arrive. in that life more game optimism maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about how we can live our lives right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> personally i hate monopoly because it lasts yeah. way too long way too long yeah, it it's a very long game
1: <laughs> it's sitting on the table for we have to take pictures to make sure nobody's yeah. walking by cheating in the house I think like the how last much money you have
0: <laughs> i think the last time i played monopoly was with you phil when we were in college with matt van like oh yeah and that game lasted Far too long. Far too long. And we did get a little heated.
3: Yeah,
2: and I don't even how do you win Monopoly? You <laughs> you you take everyone
0: the else's else money. everything. <laughs> yes, you, you, you win by you having wipe everything. Them out. <laughs> it seems like a bad uh,
1: So bad I would be curious about then the young, you know Well, these days it's hard to say. The young kids playing along like what what is the overall message at the table? What is the conversation? Because yeah. I understand the premise of it, you know, the empowerment of it, but then what is the overall conversation at the table too? Like, how are the people supposed to feel, or you yeah. know, boys mm. supposed to feel too? Like, what is their role in that as children? Like, what? I you know, I just kind of you know, who's facilitating the conversation during the game? I guess <laughs> is yeah. what I wonder. Or is it right. just, or is it just the visual and and maybe that's what sticks in their minds? And yeah. like. I it's, always kind of just wonder what is the...
0: What's the what's the goal here? Mm. Yeah.
3: And it's also hard because in our times right now, which is so politically correct, mm-hmm. you're thinking, have we gone too far? Yeah. You know, you, people, you know of course, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah. No.
1: <laughs> no, it's not the popular but, view, but I'm with right. you. It's like sometimes it's like how, you know, we live in an environment now where it's it's if you don't always agree... With what is being said, then you're labeled something, right? You know, yeah. you're condemned or you're labeled, and it's a really dangerous environment. And you, you get know, cast out, you get cast out, mm-hmm. and that's you know, it's happening to kids, it's happening to adults, you know, just mm-hmm. for stating their own views. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're open to your views, but if you state a view different than mine, then right,
2: or the or, the, or the herds, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, and no. it's, so it's it's a it's a scary, tricky environment right now.
2: I also wonder what. So
1: yes, I love the Monopoly game. I think it's a great (laughs) idea. I'm going to buy it for my house.
2: Great. (laughs) All right, you're playing along. Great. So here we go. Portland officials say Airbnb hosted too many people. Homeowners say the problem was racism. And this is Willamette Week. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, Airbnb is a tricky thing already because, you know, with the gig economy and, you know, people just trying to make money in every way possible, but... Apparently, Portland is saying that there's some Airbnb's that are putting too many people in them, and the homeowners are saying that, "Hey, you're only saying that because we are people of color."
3: It's it's people of color that are renting their rooms out. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah, the homeowners.
2: It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, th- there's a really interesting race racial wait, dynamic wait, in Portland. I'm confused. Okay, so That's I, at first I was like, "I didn't do." Yeah, the, quite we can know. unpack it. No, yeah, yeah. So the ho- yep. the
1: home. Yeah, back, back this up Who's for me. Who's being racist? Who's being racist?
2: Portland. Oh. Portland. Per, per usual. White Portland. Portland. being
1: racist? <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> See, I, that's a headline. I, I, See,
1: whoever came up with issue. and Willamette Week, too, yeah. they'll be the one to break that. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: thought the real <laughs> issue was that there were people buying houses in Portland Um, just to rent them out for Airbnb. That's also true. And that 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 was displacing people of color, and that was was at least one of the issues that has to do with racism and and Airbnb. We can talk about that. But if this is a new development, yeah, I'm just trying to understand it as well. I
2: think, uh, you know, as an example, I think what uh, this article is talking about is a situation in which, you know, let's just say you're renting an Airbnb, and let's just say you're a person of color. If you were doing it in Portland... Their Portland officials, you know, police officers are cracking down on the Airbnbs that seem to be renting out to too many people at one time. Uh, um, and, and the way I look at this is that there's probably probably some noise violations or, you know, na- nosy neighbors who are, you know, peeking through windows and saying, hey, I
3: saw 10 people in that Airbnb the other night. Like, you know. So
1: 10 people of color.
3: Yes. Right. Is what they're saying. Yes, exactly. Mm. I understand the noise, but then, of course, it's a slippery slope as to how they pursue that in terms, you know, if if it really is because of racism, which, you know.
1: It is. And and you have to be, there's another one you got to be careful with because there's so many blurred lines of racism now where people are screaming racism for things that really are not. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it is a very slippery slope. And it's like, what what are we defining as racism now? That's true. You know, like what? Is buying and if it is something like that, is buying a property in a neighborhood that you know used to be predominantly black and renting it out is that racism? Is it helping the community? Like what you know, it, there's a lot of conversations that no. go into it. I'm not stating one way or the other, but right. I'm just saying there's so it's 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 not cut and dry. No. There's, and of course, they are not
3: going to say that's the reason as to why they're they're reporting right. right. And exactly.
1: it's like it's like the first go to now. To grab attention, it's like I was racist. Yep. Okay. Well, what are we? What are we talking you about? Know, it's
3: the same thing with you know Me Too or any kind of movement. You know, you have to be careful that that's the reason why you're actually pursuing. Yeah. Either you know suing someone or going after you know exactly you're criminal not charges. Just
1: shouting it out to get yeah. attention and right. then really not having a basis for
3: it. There was there was one uh, I forget who it was, but I remember this was right after Harvey Weinstein was. Uh, wasn't convicted, but he was arrested, and there was a woman who, she was sitting at a press table with a fur, like a, like almost like a Russian fur hat, a false eyelashes, uh, makeup. I mean, she 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 must have hired a personal stylist. And you're thinking, you're not doing your cause any good by doing this, hmm. mm-hmm. you know, because you, there are so many women that the, the, it's their truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course, you you know, you, you, again, politically correct, you can't say that. But I thought, I thought, you know, you're not doing anybody, you know, these poor...
1: What is your real reason for being
3: here? Right. I mean, it was so obvious that this woman was holding a press conference um, (laughs) for publicity. Mm. And I thought, you know, you're the one out of a hundred and you're going to do damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I, and you know... Uh, You know, Airbnb, the website, has very strict rules about who stays in the Airbnbs. You know, like you you can't just say it's me and four friends. You have to, when you're on the website, you have to kind of connect them and then they have to be vetted and all of that. So the idea that there are too many people staying in an Airbnb sounds fishy to me. Um, because it would be vetted through the website. Mm-hmm. Well, unless people just bring whoever over. I guess, yeah, unless it, you know. but it's madness now anyway, so yeah. who knows.
0: Here's another headline for you. This one uh, popped out at me on Reddit, but it's from CBS. Uh, a message in a bottle leads to the rescue of a California family stranded on a 40-foot waterfall. So a little bit of backstory here. I don't know if you heard about this. Apparently it happened back around Father's Day, but they, they've just gotten more information about it. This, uh, this guy took his daughter, his uh, 13-year-old daughter, on a hike. They uh, he he remembered you could go. To, he had gone there a few years ago, and you could go to this waterfall, and then you could rappel back out with a rope, or go down with a rope. But then they got there, and the road was the rope was gone, and they couldn't go back up the way they came because it was like too treacherous. And so they actually made a message in a bottle, threw it down the waterfall, and they got. Like rescued like later that
1: afternoon. That's probably the last time that'll
3: ever work. Yeah, I know. I saw that in the news last night. That's pretty
1: lucky. That that afternoon. But I
3: wanted to say, like, I remember we went down the Grand Canyon a few years ago, and there was this couple who, and we when we got to the 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 side of the 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 river, we we were camping for the night, and it had gotten a little dark, but they were flashing their lights, and they had just wandered off from their group. Oof. and and wound up being stranded and they had to be helicoptered out. Wow. And and of course we we went over there and, and then, then the person who was in charge of our raft they weren't allowed to actually bring them on to the raft for whatever reason. Oh. So we had to sort of call and have them picked up. But <laughs> you're thinking, well you better pay for that helicopter because the taxpayer, you know, yeah. if if you were stupid enough to wander away from your group no. and now you're stranded Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: There it was, was th- a message in the bottle found the other day too from a guy whose son had passed, and he put his ashes in the bottle with a note written by the the man. The man was thirty nine years old. He passed away. His daughter wrote a note to her dad, or to whoever found the bottle. And the, the I think it was the father. Or the mother. One of the two wrote a letter that said, "My son wanted to go on one last adventure," and so there was like four dollars in the bottle, the son's ashes, and they threw it out some body of water, I don't remember what it was, and it was found by a police officer a couple of days ago, but this would have happened in March. So wow. if that had been that, <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would have been <laughs> SOL. <Yeah. laughs> Luckily, the river's a little
0: smaller. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> you got <only> any more <laughs> bottles? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like it didn't take six months. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, last headline. Okay. The Trump administration. Here we go. Ooh, spoiler. I'm, yeah. sorry, right? I'm sorry, guys. The Trump administration will move to ban e-cigarettes amid vaping-related deaths, and this is breaking this morning. Now, here's my I did thing. see that this morning. Yeah. So, we uh, six people have died from mm-hmm. vaping. Uh, my question is, do you see from- how fast they move <laughs> yeah. for vaping, and how many people have died from gun deaths, and that's just just this year long, and in mass murder? You know, like what is this? What are we looking at here? <laughs> <laughs> This is just my piece. I was reading this Sorry, this morning. Just and I was thinking of
1: something Chappelle said, but I'm, it's probably not. Oh, he uh, was yeah. so... probably go shouldn't read. Wait, wait. Speaking of somebody who
3: was do... politically incorrect, yeah, my... but brilliantly, I mean, just so funny. Well, he <laughs> talked
1: about the way to get them to, to change the gun laws is for every black person to go That's out true. and buy a gun tomorrow. Yeah, right. He's like, then they'll change the laws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. The first
2: time the gun laws changed was uh, right after Martin Luther King bought a gun.
1: Wow. Think about that.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, what do you well, think about this? Whole and how many people
1: thing? have died from emphysema and cigarettes? Right.
2: Yeah. Or you know, alcoholism. Yeah. You know, but we get six people, and that's enough, right? Let's let's change the law.
1: Well, he's you know he's doing his part. You know. <laughs> yeah. so he's out
3: here. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's our president. All right. well, and, you, and you just I mean you just realize how much the, the government is in the hand or the, in the pockets of the NRA.
2: Oh yeah. Oh so much. And you know, and you would think that the tobacco lobby would <laughs> would step up. They probably are,
0: and they're probably like, get vaping out of here, so we can keep selling cigarettes. Yeah, all no, these I'm, kids, I'm, I'm they're sure. They're getting all these kids onto vaping way young, which is a whole different thing. And then, um, and but but kids and like teenagers and stuff don't smoke cigarettes like like I was smoking cigarettes when I was in high school. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like yeah. you know, because they, they kind th- of didn't think have it's to gross. show ID. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, I actually just ran into the guy that used to sell me cigarettes when I was, like, 15. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: That dude still runs the corner store where I live. Yeah. Well, he
1: doesn't run the corner store anymore. Now he's got an appliance store on the other side of town. So I haven't seen him in 25 years. Sure. And I walked into the appliance store, and he's like, I know you. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. He's like, I used to sell cigarettes to you. I was like, oh, nice. That's he's like, you funny. still look the same. Oh, my gosh. We like okay. him. Yeah. I said, I was underage. He said, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> back then, you know, yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's always the excuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: uh, let's do some plugs. Uh, this is the section where you can plug anything that you need to plug. Uh, I'll let you guys go. Or first. even anything you're interested in seeing that's yeah. coming up. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: I know. I'm. Uh, I want to go see the Wolves. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I said I haven't, I haven't even read it. Uh, that's a play that I've been putting off reading because i wanted to see a production so i'm looking forward to seeing the wolves it's portland playhouse once, right yeah portland playhouse once at broadway rose hmm. uh 1984 at artist rep oh yeah once a few things i want to see yeah great yeah
1: um i have a few projects coming up i'm choreographing which is neat i i actually um really kind of started off my career as a choreographer and teacher and i have haven't really choreographed in quite a few years. I took a huge step back because of my body. And this year, just all of a sudden, I'm getting calls left and right. So um, I'll be doing a, a couple shows choreographing, one for OCT and um, it's a couple other things. And then I'll be in a show with Third Rail next uh, oh, nice. spring also. So I'm excited oh, cool. about that. That'll be my first time working with, with Third Rail. Which show is that? Uh, Mary Jane. Oh, cool. Great.
0: Um, well, I just want to plug you guys before uh, I don't get a chance to. Yeah, so remember, come see Mala, and you can see this wonderful show. Uh, they're running through uh, September 28th, uh, Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. 7.30. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, that's at Coho. So uh, come out and check Matinee's that out. at 2. Matinee's Matinee's at two, 2 on Sundays. Yeah. 2 on Sundays. Great. Wonderful. and um, yeah, And then I also uh, want to plug... I don't know if I plugged this last time, but might as well. Show I'm working on called Complex at Theater Vertigo. Uh, that's uh, we open uh, September 28th, I think, right around, or a little bit before that. So same weekend this closes. So come check us out. Um, I'm in the process of concocting an instrument that's never been seen before for my scene. So fun. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and that's a new play, right? That hasn't been. That's the first time it's being done. It's the premiere. I
0: think it is the first time that they've been. They're doing this one. The the playwright Dominic um, he. Went to Reed College, and uh, he's written a few plays, and they're also producing uh, one of his plays, which I'm also in here at Coho uh, in the spring. So uh, Found Dog, uh, Ribbon Dance, yeah.
1: Fun.
2: Nice. I will come see that. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to plug Mother Come Home, which is a reading that's going to open up um, October 5th uh, right here at Coho Theater. Um, I will be in this reading, so great. if you want to see me on stage, that's your opportunity. (laughs) <laughs> They're rare. He's Very rare. Every once in a while. Appearance.
0: He's turning down stuff left and right. Oh, yeah, every yeah, once yeah. in a while you get to see him. All, <laughs> him. all the Allstate
2: commercials you can imagine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I just want to thank you guys so much for coming and doing this with us. Thank um, you for having us. Really you, Appreciate it. It's been yeah, so thank fun. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. All yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Listening. If you have questions or would like to reach out, Feel free to reach out to our email, which is Radical Listening at gmail.com or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.